Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, welcome to Madam Perry's Salon, the podcast that loves you, the podcast that brings you fascinating people. Tonight's guest is a fantasy adventure author that I met at the Atlanta Steampunk Expo, and he is going to talk about his very, very unusual and fascinating way that he came to write this series that is becoming so popular. Uh, But first, I've got a little message for you, and it goes like this. (sighs) What a day. I just need some me time for once. Yes, perfect. I got the new bath bombs today. Peach and clove, here we come. Mim and the Anvil makes the best-smelling herbal blends of bath bombs. You can order loose or ground herb, added buttermilk, extra large, even ones with hidden gifts inside. There are over 25 essential oil varieties. After today, my body definitely needs some spiritual nourishment and lots of fizz. Her metaphysical blends are soothing in more ways than one. Visit MimandTheAnvil.com today. Make time for yourself. There are over 100 herbal blends of bath bombs. Keep a healthy body and mind. Feed your soul. Visit MimAndTheAnvil.com today. If you don't make time for yourself, no one else will. I mean, the world has gone crazy, right? I mean, this whole pandemic. I, I, I don't even know if I'm coming or going anymore. You know what I mean? But the one thing during the pandemic that I found out, right, that was a good thing, was the Madame Paris Salon. I made this podcast, right, when you hear her laughing, all you want to do is laugh, right? When her dog's barking in the background and she's talking to the duck, I'm like, she's going to an interview, and I'm like, this podcast is the best podcast I've ever heard before. You know what I mean? Oh, Sebastian, what a very sweet thing to say. I think he's so adorable. Anyway, uh, this is the first show I've had since I just got back from Wild Wild West Con. You know, my favorite steampunk adventure, Wild Wild West Con out in Tucson. So many fantastic people uh, and such a great community. And we'll be talking all about some of these folks on another show. But as I said earlier, uh, I met this author along with several other fascinating people at the Atlanta Steampunk Expo, and he has got a fascinating series of books as well as a very intriguing and unusual way that he came to write his stories. And he's right here. I'm going to bring him into the genie bottle now. 
the author, Dennis Medbury. Dennis, welcome to Madam Perry Salon. Well, thank you for having me. How you doing? How, how are you? I'm doing great, doing great. Um, you know, this is the time of year in Georgia we deal with the, what my husband calls a yellow car syndrome from all the from the high pollen count. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, you you got to spray your windshield yeah. every time you go out and start it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need a scraper for the pollen, the same way you use for eyes. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I've got the hot tea here and fighting off the, the allergies, but it's a small price to pay for the gorgeous azaleas that we have. And yeah. I was just saying before, you have such, uh, first of all, so glad to have you here. And I am just so fascinated, not only because I've just finished your first book, Secrets of the Runestones, and this is book one in the series, fantasy series, but because of the fascinating way you come to write this story. I mean, everybody always asks the author, what is the origin? What is the beginning? Where did you get the ideas for the story? Um, And things like that. But you have, I don't know if it's unique, but it's unique to all the stories that I've heard of how an author came to create this world, the characters, and the story. So would you mind telling us about it? Or telling my listeners about it? Yeah, sure. Uh, So I served in uh, the U.S. Navy for 10 years. And uh, I, during my service, I developed uh, PTSD, which led to insomnia. And uh, I couldn't get to sleep at night. And I didn't want to take any medication. I'm, I'm not that kind of person. So I decided to try to create a story in my head to calm my mind down. And uh, I just started developing it in my head it, uh, over the course of nearly 20 years, going over and over it. So I would get to a point I didn't like where the story was going, and I would just start over. And things just kept developing and developing. New characters added, uh, trade routes, um, just everything, magic systems. And after a while, when I would start over, the story didn't change anymore and I thought well I guess it's time to put it on paper and I did <laughs> well you know that's interesting you say that because yes it's uh um PTSD as we people realize now hopefully everyone that it is a very real condition and yes there are medications for it that hopefully help some people but then sometimes the medications can seem scary when things become addictive and so you chose to try a different route and to start creating these worlds and these stories. And I was fascinated in one of the things I read uh, about how you create the entire system, the worlds, the trade, the, like you said, the trade routes, everything about it, because you know when people get into your work, they're going to want to see this happen. They're going to want to know. They're going to want to put it down and how it works. Um, and the world right. of, you want to know, like, <laughs> why was that? Why was that city built in a particular place, like near a waterway, uh, good soil? Uh, what natural resource is around there that led the people to flock to that area? And that's all the kind of stuff you have to think about. So when. Um, and, of course, going through this episode, 
since this is the first time you and I have actually talked more about specifics of the book, um, since we just had the meeting and, and uh, conversation, I'm going to ask you to please kindly correct my pronunciations. No problem. Okay. <laughs> and so, The Secret of the Rune Stones is a mystical foray into the world of preclarium. Good. All right. I'm off to a good start. And uh, we start off with the main characters, which uh, begin with Dorian, who's a half-dwarf, and his father, Dane. And mm-hmm. the story begins with them, and they have, uh, because of the work they do, the special work that they do, it has a big effect on how the story goes at one point and ends in this book. So tell us about those characters and how they were, how they came to lead off the book. Uh, yeah. The, um, well, Thane is a full dwarf. Uh, and his wife was human. Uh, so Dorian is a half dwarf, half human. And, uh, that's a pretty rare thing to happen. Uh, Dwarves and humans don't usually uh, get together. And uh, if it does happen, it's, it's usually purpose of creating a half-dwarf for fighting because they have the strength of a dwarf with the agility of a human. So they're, they're excellent pit fighters. But Dorian's situation was different because his parents actually loved each other. And uh, unfortunately... Uh, no human can produce a uh, half dwarf uh, without dying, and that is what happened. Um, Dorian's mother died during childbirth, and uh, his father knew that his son would face a lot of prejudice uh, being a half dwarf, uh, so he raised him in seclusion and out in the woods, and Dorian never met anybody other than his father his father was very protective of him so that he could shield him from the prejudice that he would face uh and because mull the uh the the derogatory term that they use for a half dwarf is mull m-u-l like mules Mm. and uh Mm -hmm. you can't miss them because they typically have gray eyes and not a shred of hair on their entire body so it's pretty easy to identify. It's not like you could just hide that. So in the beginning, uh, Thane, you start off with the scene where Thane is teaching his son. He's, he's um, sword fighting with his son and in a way of training him. Um, and Dorian never, at least in the beginning, he's just like, he's almost there, but not quite. But his father, he seems tough, but he also, yeah, you're right, he does seem to care about protecting him. Yes, um, the the sword fighting, and and that's just like a fun activity that they do. Their main job is uh, weaponsmithing. They create weapons, and Thane, the father, takes them into the city to sell them to help support you know, living. And so now when his father goes in the city, of course he interacts with other people and uh, knows different types of characters and people because 
He's there for a while. He's he has a shop. He sells his swords. Uh, he is an extremely well known and revered uh, weaponsmith. Yes. And so he's out amongst the world, and I'm guessing he does teach things even more to to Dorian about the world, but without letting him in there. So tell us about the. Um, then we start to meet some fascinating characters. Uh, and I don't know where to start because I know we don't want to give everything away, but I want people to know how how delicious this book is in terms <laughs> of stories and characters. And the more I got into it, and the more chapters go, and you think, okay, there, now there's here, now I'm there. And I know everything is going to meet up somewhere. Uh, I'm just going to toss out a couple of things, and you can just tell me where you want to go. Uh, first of all, Dorian meets some people sort of accidentally uh, that are just wandering mm-hmm. through. Also, there's a character of uh, – and, and this character is very fascinating to me. It's an uh, elf named Elendor. Yep, yep, Elendor. That I just began to have a, a particular affinity for because he's got challenges most of them don't have, but yet that that I've never seen in an elf and apparently is not common where he is either, but also how he takes on situations, not only using his own power, he's an uh, uh, arbormancer. He is an arbormancer, yes. That's yeah. uh, the ability to control plants, yes. Okay, so... Um, and the way he relates with people like friends that he's trying to watch out for as well as people that he has to deal with in his own situations and relationships as far as how things are maintained in that world according to the rules. So um, I don't know where you want to start first, but I would love to hear about uh, Elendor and how you created his character. Elendor is a full-blooded elf. He was born without his left arm and both legs below the knees. He, uh, in the elven society, they live in the treetops. And uh, elves are very vain. And uh, they see Elendor as a blemish because he was born without those limbs. The, the elves, to them, elves are perfect. They're beautiful. They're just perfect beings. Therefore, Seeing one born with a deformity to them is like an abomination. That's but, the exact word I was thinking, yes. <laughs> but arbormancy is incredibly rare. And there's only usually one born per generation, if that. And uh, since they live in the treetops and their culture uh, decide, like, is that they do not harm nature, uh, they need the Arbormancer to keep their city vibrant. Uh, they, if they need a new house, if they need a new uh, pathway in the treetops, they don't have a choice. They, they're not going to cut the trees. They need the Arbormancer to manipulate the vegetation so that they can have their city the way they want it. And so they're, they're kind of stuck with Elendor. But he faces a lot of his own problems with his own people, they kind of put up with him, but every time they look at him, they're kind of disgusted in a way. This isn't every elf, 
not every elf feels that way. He does have friends, but there is a large sect of his own people that see him that way. Sort of like he's uh, he's necessary, but they just don't want to. They just don't want to see him. It's, it's a bad thing for them. Right, right. They don't want to exi- admit that he exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's an important part of their culture, but that one only comes every one hundred years or so. So, what are they going to do? Well, now. Tell me more about. Oh, let me see. I want Dennis. I've got so many questions. <laughs> so fill them, fill, listen, I think I've told you before. I've had a lot of herding dogs over the last forty years, from German shepherds to cattle dogs to corgis. So feel free to jump in and herd me at any time. But, yeah. Uh, uh, another big character is Razul. Uh, Razul is a very interesting character, and I don't want to get. Oh, His yeah. story can get very, very spoilery, so I'm not going to talk <clears throat> a whole lot about him. But Razul is, he is what's called a wild elf. They're quite different than Elendor's um, culture. And I always say, uh, Razul, the wild elves are kind of like the Mohawk Native Americans. They were hunters. Uh, they, do, they do eat meat, unlike Elendor's uh, wood elf race uh and uh they are bigger stronger with much less affinity to magic but uh that's the way Razul should have been raised if he had been raised in with his people he would have been like a mohawk indian uh however Razul (laughs) was unfortunately raised as a pit fighter so um He's spent the last 70 years fighting for his life. And uh, that's kind of like the the dichotomy between him and Dorian, which Dorian, usually a half-dwarf, is raised in the pits, but he was raised in the woods, (laughs) and Razul (laughs) should have been raised in the woods, but was raised in the pits. So, which, uh, and yeah, Razul, I can't believe. Excuse me. I can't believe you brought him up because he is a rather fascinating character. The kind that you know in the beginning is going to take take this story to a far deeper level. All the characters are, are brilliantly created, complex, and the strong points and flaws. Right. And the, the story takes place like every chapter is a different point of view between these main characters. Elendor, Razul, uh, Dorian, they all have point of view chapters, but there are other characters as well, like uh, Clarissa. (coughs) Clarissa was or is the high priestess of the the whole country. She's basically number two to the king. Like, that's how important her, her role is. And she's 21 years old, very young, and she and she's been, inherited this title. And uh, well, let's just say she's a little bit snotty when we meet her. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. I'm going to take just a minute here to um, step away, and we'll be right back. I've got to play um, 
since we're in a, <laughs> you know, I did, I was trying to think which one of my steam, which which music from which one of my steampunk friends, as I met you at a steampunk convention, would I want to play? And what I'm coming up with is um, my friend Bruce Sedano. Now that you just talked about Clarissa the High Priestess being young and a bit snotty, it makes me think of my friend Bruce Sedano and a song he wrote with his wife. So I'm just going to play a little bit of it, and then uh, I'll be back. We'll be back in about one minute with more of Dennis Medbury. You say I'm out on the street at night Picking up all kinds of strangers Price is right You can't score if your pocket's tight Do you want a good time? You ask yourself Who they are Like anybody else they come from near and far Bad girls Talking about the sad girls Sad, 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 sad girls Talking about the bad girls Now it's Friday night And the strip is hot Sun gone down And they're out to try Legs look hot Do you want to get down? You ask yourself Who they are Like everybody else They want to be a star Bad girl Talking about the sad girl Sad, sad girls Talking about the bad girls This is Madam Perry, and I am back here. But you can also call me Jen, Jennifer, J.P., Perry. I'm just happy to be here. And uh, back with Dennis Medbury, author of Secrets of the Runestone series. Did you recognize that song? I'm sure you did, Dennis. Uh, no, actually, I didn't recognize that one. You know, uh, Donna Summer, Bad Girls? Hmm. And maybe, no. you know, I think you're too young to recognize songs that I know. <laughs> it was a big disco hit. Let me put it that way. Probably your parents know it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay. Yeah, all righty. Well, anyway, so because we were talking about Clarissa and the High Priestess, and yeah, that's a pretty uh, big, and it's so far, um, okay, I don't want to talk that about Clarissa. I don't want to give away too much. Tell me, though, let's go further into um the series. How many books do you have so far in the Secrets of the Runestone series? There are currently four books in the series. Mm-hmm. At least. Yes, yeah, there, there's four that are released. Yes, 
Okay. Uh, I'm currently working on the fifth. I am very far into it, and it will be the final of this series. Tell me about the reaction you get from audiences, because I've seen um, – I've seen people, since I was fortunate to meet you in person, that's my first introduction to your books, Uh, tell me about the reaction or the interaction you have with people who meet you at conventions or read your books and then maybe leave a review for you or tell their friends about it and tell you. Yeah, I'd say the the biggest thing that I I hear back when, when I hear people that have uh, read the books. One of the big things they say is they love the characters. Um, it's a very character-driven story as compared to a plot-driven story. Uh, each of the characters have very defined personalities and uh, flaws. Uh, none of them are are perfect by any of the imagination, especially <laughs> some of them. Uh, Brett, Brett in particular. Uh, seems to be a, a fan favorite, um, <laughs> mostly because he's incredibly sarcastic and <laughs> and he seems like just this I don't know, layabout, like a guy. He's a thief. He just he tries to do whatever he can to live the simplest possible life, but it really never works out for him. <laughs> well, let me ask you, since you brought up Brett. And yeah, I love him too. I wanted to ask you, does Brett have a bit of Dennis Medbury in him? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, I do. <laughs> I do tend to be a bit sarcastic myself. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't notice it when I met you, but then again, uh, my husband says that he always to talk to him. You always have to keep your sarcasm detector or meter on high, so maybe I'm just used to it. (laughs) I was uh, looking at some of the reviews, too, on the different review things, and especially Goodreads is one of my favorites. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read a couple of these, a couple of excerpts, if that's okay with you. Certainly. One of my favorites. And this this book came out in, what, 2019? Yeah, yeah, 2019, yep. I started writing in This was uh, one line. This is uh, one of the five-star reviews, one of many. The person started off with, and this is one sentence in a paragraph by itself, I need the second book in my life right now. Need is in all caps. <laughs> it is really hard for me to find a book whose characters make me care about them this much. Holy crap, dude. I need some serious reassurance about their future, and I can only find it in book two. Now that, that's a good review. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I enjoyed that one myself. And, uh, um, oh, and this is something, too, that I noticed, when this person says, Dory, I was hooked from beginning to end. I loved the author's style of each chapter being a different character's point of view. I grew attached to them, and when it ended, it had me wanting more. Uh, author has a great sense of humor, and there are twists and turns that really kept me hooked. This is a must-read. So, yeah, 
when you reading interv- uh, reviews like this, when you see them, because I don't know if it were me, I would be thinking, I would be afraid. Look, I'd be trying to read my reviews like like you did as a kid, watching scary movies with your hands over your face, but then you over your fingers to peek out. That's how I would do it. But apparently, you don't have to do that. But do you think they get it? I mean, do you think this is great? They get it. They get me. They understand me. Um, yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, you know, one of the things about uh, writing in uh, a point of view, person on mission, uh, is you get to get in the character's head. You get to know what they're thinking and why they're taking the actions that they're taking. And I think that that creates a, a really good way to tell a story because you want to be able to connect with the characters and you want to know their th- their thought process. And that's what I try to do when I, when I write these stories. Okay. Um, since the character development was, is one of the crucial things in this book that really keep everyone hanging on. Uh, where did you learn to, def- to create such great, and, and multi-dimensional characters. And I guess I'm also asking, too, who were some of your favorite writers and that you, for whom you admire that, act, that aspect of, care, of the, their stories? Okay, so uh, where, where I came up with the characters, I, that's a tough question to answer. I, I just, the years and years of thinking about them, they just developed their own personalities, their own identities as time went by and I, and I got to know them, I guess you have to think about your characters as real people. And that's just what I did. It, it, there, it took a long, long time for these characters to have the personalities that they ended up having. Um, some of my favorite authors and <laughs> okay. So yeah, I, I, I like my Tolkien. I like yeah, my Anne Rice. I really like Anne Rice. Um, and uh, even even Stephen King, I, I got some influence from him. I suppose I've read, I don't know, four or five of his books. But um, <laughs> to be honest, one of my biggest influences is from manga. <laughs> it, <laughs> I know that manga, like the uh, oh 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 yeah 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 yeah. I, I read I read quite a few manga. That's probably my favorite. Um, Ichiro Oda from the writer of One Piece yeah, the, that man is brilliant <laughs> <laughs> that man is brilliant his, his, his way of developing world his world is just so <laughs> incredible uh, yeah, I, I know that that's a little unorthodox but I like what I like, and I really do enjoy my manga. And some of these manga writers aren't taken very seriously in the world of literature, but, man, some of them are incredible. I find that rather fascinating because I think, you know, whatever it is that you love that draws you to manga has got to be a little bit of, I don't know, some kind of manga dust or stardust coming off of that that just sprinkles into your writing because that's why I kept saying there is something or more than one something that really seems to bring your characters and your stories up to a 
different kind of energy or level. Uh, this this um, interview, I mean, excuse me, this review on Amazon, one says, I was a little skeptical about a fantasy book, to be honest. But I was pleasantly surprised. Can't say enough about your books. Uh, and then somebody else, I'm not usually into fantasy type books, but this was extremely attention grabbing. Read it in three days and sad to see it end. <laughs> I know you see this, you know, and, um, Oh, as a stay-at-home mom to a rambunctious toddler, reading is a hard task to complete. Now, that is a testimony. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I call a testimony, a fact with my hand up, however you say it. And also it gives me the opportunity to say, I was kind of the same way. I kept thinking, oh, yeah, I don't really read those that's not really a genre I get into anymore. I don't read anymore. But I met you, and you were so engaging, and your daughters. And so I thought, what the heck? You know, so I got the book, got your daughters, uh, the bookmark she made in it. And I got into it thinking, oh, okay. Yeah, this is different. This this is a whole different level. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh yeah, I, I suppose I, I might have some unorthodox uh, inspiration. Um, I think a lot of the fantasy out there is uh, very derivative of Tolkien and uh, Sanderson, uh, but those two had no influence on me, none. So, I mean, I'll, well, I guess see. Tolkien did bit because I do have elves and dwarves in it, so I guess he did a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and it's great, but it's just, uh, um, you know, nobody, especially, you know, during the pandemic when people were binging on shows, nobody wants to watch something where you feel like, oh, yeah, I've seen this plot before. I already know who did it. Yeah, you right. want to be surprised no matter what. You want to have... Uh, be drawn in and entertained and surprised. And so now I'm starting to see that maybe all of your experience and your different influences, and and I'm glad you also went ahead and said what all your influences were or some that were a bit unorthodox because think of all the writers who read you or who are listening to you or who will listen to this because this podcast goes everywhere. It goes Spotify, iHeartRadio, everything. And as you probably know yourself, you know, one never knows where their inspiration or their encouragement comes from, and often from someone they've never met. Right. What about now, when you talked about being in the Navy and when you served, um, and where were you specifically? Like where did I serve? Yes. Oh, geez. Uh, I was stationed yep. in. Yeah, I was stationed in Maine, Brunswick, Maine, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, New Jersey. I was in New Jersey for my final. What about different? Uh, does it ever? Do you ever find when you're writing, maybe different the personalities of different people that you served with or different situations, whether it be 
not necessarily a military, but maybe just some funny situation between people that you knew and you find their way working into your stories or the plots or the characters? Uh, yeah, that's probably there that, that that I would have to think about a little harder. But I think the, one of the big things that come into it is the cultures. Uh, because as I was in the military, I, I, I may have only been stationed three different places, but I traveled a lot. Um, I have actually literally flown around the world in an airplane. Um, wow. So I have to experience a lot of different cultures that I could draw on uh, to apply it to the people. That's another thing. Like, in order to make the, the world feel more alive, more vibrant, you want to have cultural differences. So, like, celebrations and why are they celebrated and things like that. Uh, so, yeah, I do upon my experiences from my travels, for, for sure. Um, but other than that, like, there is a lot of military talk in there that I actually had to tone down. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. Because, I, you know, I knew that the average person may not understand some of the references that I'm, that I'm making uh, unless they were actually military members themselves. Uh, so when I talk about formations and things, I was able to draw on that and how military ranking systems work uh, for the armies. That's, that is very applied um, without going overboard. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like I said, could be a challenge at times. You know, years I find a long time. Yeah, yes, it is indeed. Um, I find I wanted to ask you since you began the writing, not as think of some people doing, like you know, I've got a story in me. I bet I could be a writer, or whatever. You started it as a, I don't know. Um, coping mechanism, a way to avoid being on prescription drugs because of PTSD. And then when the story, you kept just changing the stories which um, until they became a book, until the story stayed and mm-hmm. became books. Did you, did you, you seem like you enjoy the writing. Did you ever expect to enjoy it so much and to have, uh, I'm sure the fans that come along, that's like just a little added bonus but did you think you would enjoy it so much no no i didn't i never <laughs> uh, the most most of the authors i've met since since i began my journey have all said uh they either went to college for this or they always wanted to be a writer uh, and uh, most of them talk about how they are very introverted and i'm like well i'm a sore thumb here then <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> I never wanted to be a writer. I never thought I would be. I never knew I would enjoy it. And I am one of the most extroverted people you could possibly meet. I'm there. If you saw me at the convention, I don't sit behind my table. I never do. I sit, I go out in front of the table, and I want to talk to everybody. <laughs> well, and, and that is brilliant because um, and you managed to do that without being, you know, some people are kind of pushy, can be on the borderline obnoxious about that. You are totally the opposite. You are engaging. You have a great energy. You're fun. But that is also one thing I tell uh, clients as a as a publicist, if they're authors, I go, do not go and sit behind a table. If I'm there, I'll yank your chair away. Do not sit <laughs> behind that table. 
Um, and I remember one of my best, one of my best clients at this was she would just stand. And when people came in, she had door, uh, what is it, bookmarks made. And she'd say, hi, would you like a bookmark? And just hand it to people. You know, they don't know if she's working there and just giving them a free gift or what. And then she would do that, and then somehow they'd look at, oh, that's my book. I'm here. And I remember the uh, manager of the store, it was a Barnes & Noble. I went down there, and he said, you know, I love this so much. She's not sitting behind the chair. He goes, so many times. And I, I told him, I said, well, here's the talk that I give them, and I explained it. He said, uh, so many times we'll have somebody here sitting behind a desk, it's a disgruntled academic with their book, sitting with a stack of them on the table, and they still are disgruntled. And they look so angry or aggravated that even we employees walk around the store to avoid them. So we know the customers do. But, yeah, <laughs> you were engaging. You've got a great setup. You're engaging the books, the covers. Oh, my gosh. The covers are absolutely gorgeous. Thank and you. really draw you in the colors. And, and I know with the book in my hand, like right toward the center, uh, the rune stone, and it's drawn with just a, uh, a bit of a, it's kind of a violet purple, but a little bit more of an orchid purple spacing out from it with like a little bit of, you see, little teeny tiny sparks that we can uh, interpret as some energy coming from it. And mm-hmm. then there's a live stone. And yeah, it's great. And do you do many conventions like that? Like I'll bet you at Atlanta Steampunk Expo, and I know you've been to several others since then. Uh, how did you get? How did you find out and get involved in that convention circuit? And tell me what you like about it. Uh, well, the first, after I released the first book, I I had I had never been to a convention until I released my first book, and I knew about them, and I had always wanted to go because in my heart of hearts, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I, and uh I, I always wanted to go and, and uh my my kids are, are into the same kind of stuff that i am so i was like you know what let's let's try this out so i just did some internet searching and uh the very first one that i ever went to was called uh conjuration here in atlanta and uh it was a harry potter themed convention and i went there no idea what i was doing <laughs> I, I I brought a stack of books and right. I'm sorry. You just draw like, me a vivid. You just draw do me a vivid picture, Dennis, right there. I went had no idea. So I'm sorry. <laughs> go ahead. So yeah, I, I, I'm like, but I, like I said, I'm I'm an extrovert. So I'm not sitting behind. The, I'm walking in front of the table and I'm looking at everybody else selling stuff who's sitting down and. Not everybody, but, you know, a, a large portion of them. And uh, I'm like, well, why aren't they out talking to people? And I just started thinking about how I would want to be uh, approached if I was a customer. And I said, you know what? I don't want somebody pushing something on me. I don't. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want it. So I would just go out, and usually it was people in costumes, and I would, I would just start talking to them. I'd just, hey, tell me about your costume. Did you make that? And, you know, and then sometimes they would – start taking interest in what I had going on behind me, and then I would tell them about it. And if they didn't show an interest, I wouldn't even bring it up. So I would just talk to them. That was, that was my whole thing. But I was doing it a little bit too much at first. <laughs> I was talking about TV shows that I like and books and, <laughs> and cartoons. And, 
<laughs> I forgot why I'm here. Um, <laughs> so luck, luckily there was a there was a couple other authors there that uh, were able to uh, give me some pointers. That, uh, very friendly people. Yeah, uh, that's the other thing that that I've really enjoyed about and uh, finding all these conventions is nine times out of ten. The other uh, vendors that are there are the friendliest, nicest, helpful people, and you know I, I just and they they have the same kind of aura that that I emit in that you know we love the fantasy we love the um, the stuff that the average person quote unquote doesn't get into, and it was just such a, a world changer for me. I loved it so much and. Uh, Nowadays, I just for any any and all conventions that are going on that I, that I think I might have a chance, and I hope I can get in and I apply for them. Uh, just if not just to get my name out there, uh, but just to also meet people and and make that connection. It's it's enjoyable. It's fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, great because you do have the lead in to talk about their costume. Um, it's not like they 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 can be afraid that you're going to um, just kind of grab them like the perfume girls do, you know, and in the department store. But you started a conversation, and you already they already have something in common with you because you're both right. there, and. Uh, <laughs> That is just uh, that just amazes me. Then and and too, and you got you also have a couple of little secret weapons, don't you? I shouldn't say little, but um, you did have some secret weapons. Yeah, I got the uh, my youngest daughter makes these uh, really neat bookmarks. Uh, they they uh, they come with every sale at a convention. She makes them, and and people love those because they're. Quite extravagant, really. They're they're really nice, and people and people like them because they're they're thicker than a normal, like not very not too thick, but thick enough to where, you know, you, you could definitely find your page. Um, so people really <laughs> like that. Um, and uh, of course, I have what everybody else has with the posters for my books displayed. Uh, but I also created. Um, uh, the dark fire sword is what I call it. Uh, Shadow flame. That's part of the, it's Dorian's sword. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can I talk about the magic system? Please. Okay. So the world, the the magic system in this world works with six different types of rune stones and they represent the different elemental powers, earth, wind, fire, water. But I also add in darkness and light. Uh, Earth, wind, fire, water, pretty self-explanatory. Light magic usually involves, like, uh, healing and buffing spells, like extra speed, extra strength, what have you. Uh, The darkness is more like curses and necromancy, raising dead through the use of false souls. Um, So one of the rules in this world is that Two rune stones aren't supposed to be in unison, but Dorian finds a way, and he gets a, a darkness rune stone and a fire rune stone in his sword, 
and the sword lights with black flames. Uh, I did go a little step for, too far here. Um, I also want to explain yeah. that, like, the whole world revolves around these um, rune stones. So they have a fire rune stone with the symbol for flame etched into the into the rune stone, and they use it to make a stove or an oven or a water rune stone to make a fridge or an ice box or maybe a wind rune stone to make an elevator. Uh, so the, the world's culture revolves around the use of these things. Their technology depends on it. Um, so, yeah, that's, I, I love my magic system. It's called, it's a hard magic system. The rules are very defined, but storing the sword breaks the rules. What, what about the, the bracelet that the king puts on Brett? Ah, yes. There's a, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a, that, that's, without getting into spoilers, that's tricky. Um, okay, okay, yeah, okay, okay, all right. Yeah, <laughs> don't want to spoil, but man, when I saw that, uh, I read about that. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll keep it chill. I'll keep it. I'll, yeah, I'll keep yeah. it under wraps. By the way, um, also, uh, I did like that. I did like that part, but I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> I'm really not. But oh, and two, when uh, back back to uh, uh, your daughter had on the most gorgeous black dress that looked so perfect for steampunk convention. So it was like, oh my gosh, this guy's. He's got it going on. He's got his kids dressed <laughs> apart, so <laughs> yeah, I has, wonder what that a, cost him. <laughs> she has a, uh, a plague doctor uh, outfit uh, oh, she, yeah. she wears, and it, you're right; it looks incredible mm. for sure. That's that that one. That's my oldest. <clears throat> yeah, and. Um, Yes, I still got some pictures of her. If you don't mind, I'm probably going to share. But when it's kids, I like to be sure before I share. I like to get permission. Yeah, no, it's fine. So, thank you. For people who are listening, if you, I've got a few more minutes. If you have a question, if you're listening to the live show tonight on March 20th, and you have a question or comment for Dennis Medbury, you, know, you can please call 646 716 9922 that's 646-716-9922 and ask them a question but now a lot of people tell me that they listen when they're driving or jogging running or whatever so if you're listening and you want to make sure you get the information I will be sharing links and info on how to get Dennis Medbury's books on all of my social media, not just Madam Perry, but also on my personal social media. And where can people meet you next live? Wait, what was the quote? Say that again? Where, where's the next place people can see you in person at the next oh, con- uh, the, con- convention? The next place I'll be at is uh, Wilmington Geek Expo, and that's in uh, North Carolina. Uh, and that's in two weeks, well, less than two weeks. It's the weekend after next. And then here in Atlanta, oh, what? Oh, go ahead. I, here in Atlanta, I will be at, uh, oh, shoot, uh, 
I'm, I'm losing the name for it at the moment. DragonCon? No, no. I wish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the one, uh, Sanders, Sanderson Con. Okay. Oh, dang it. Well, what I was going to ask you was, did I hear that right, uh, Wilmington? It's called the yeah, Wilmington Geek Expo. Geek Expo. <laughs> okay. I love that name. <laughs> okay. And, um, yeah, trying to find some Atlanta cons, Atlanta conventions um, this year. Let's see. Momocon? I was at Momocon last year. I'll be trying to get into Momocon again this year. Okay. I have not heard back yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I'm going through the list. Let's see. Last week was Furry Weekend. I don't know. Momocon and, and uh, yeah. Uh, 221B? Um, no. Ranger stop. Okay, we're no. just going to have to go to all of them to find you, I guess. It's, it's, it's Jordan Con. Jordan, Jordan Con. Is that what you just said? Yes, it's yeah. Jordan, Jordan Con. Con. Okay. That will be fantastic at the Ravinia. Um, okay, so Jordan Con is on April uh starts April 21st and goes through Sunday, April 23rd. Will you be there for the whole weekend? Yes. Okay, great. So I'll be sure to show that too. Um, Dennis, it has just been so fascinating to read your books, to meet you, and to get to have you on the show here. Thank you so much yes. for sharing your, sh- your own personal stories that you were doing just for your own self-help and then as they got as they developed and then just you just couldn't change them anymore you were generous enough to share them with all of us and we appreciate that and just wish you. you much continued success thank you very much oh you're welcome i hope that you will uh i hope that you'll come back anytime okay great Wonderful. All right. Uh, next week, I'm going to have somebody else that on uh, my guest next Tuesday is someone who was not at Atlanta Steampunk Expo, but I learned about her for the, the uh, one of the presentations or two of the ones that I did, which were about how NASA JPL are using actual designs from Steampunk for the Venus rover. And I got a lot of the the information from a, a writer, a space uh, journalist named Elizabeth Lowell, and she's written co-written books like Why Am I Taller? Because Astronauts Come Back to Earth, uh, Inch or Two Taller, <laughs> and several others. Uh, she writes for Space.com, and let's see, what was the other, uh, another one, Leadership Moments from NASA, The Search for Life on Mars that I'm reading now, so... Yeah, this will be a lot of fun to have her, too. So there is a connection, and I hope everyone tune in and listen for that. And, again, Dennis Medbury, I will be sharing the information to find Secrets of the Runestone series books. And um, 
If you keep me up to date on where you're going to be, I'll be happy to share that as well. So thank you so very much. Thank you for having and, me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So we'll see you next Tuesday, everyone, with Elizabeth Lowell. Search for life on Mars and other places. And this is Jennifer, Madam Perry, saying, I think you're all wonderful. Well, hey, everybody's got to wait. Love you all. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.